Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Clinical Science Podcast. My name is Dr. Panarella. Today, we're going to be talking about heartworm disease, primarily in dogs, but also a little bit in cats and a little bit about ferrets. I'm going to read, cite some information, read some information from the Merck Veterinary Manual, which has a pretty good in-depth discussion about heartworm disease, more than I want to discuss on this podcast. But I think it, it highlights a lot of the a lot of these significant issues with the disease, how to prevent it and how to treat it, which I'm not really going into specifics on treatment because that's a long and complicated process and it's specific to every ill animal and that would be up to the veterinarian treating that animal, how they want to proceed. And also, of course, the finances of the owners. Heartworm disease, also called dyrofilariasis, is produced by a parasite called dyrofilaria imidis primarily affects the pulmonary arteries, producing inflammation, vascular dysfunction, and pulmonary hypertension. It also can lead to right-sided heart failure and progressive pulmonary insufficiency. Also, depending on the severity of the infection, with more severe infections, you can have aberrant heartworm migration. That means worms traveling outside of the normal location, which they would be, which would be the pulmonary vasculature. Cable syndrome, which is actual physical worms blocking the tricuspid valve that separates the right ventricle and the right atrium, and that causes right-sided heart failure. Uh, Coagulopathy, such as disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC, when your body, when an animal's body uses up all the clotting factors and then the animal just hemorrhages from all orifices and into all body cavities, and heart failure. Most infected dogs are subclinically infected, affected. Subclinical means that we can't actually see a problem. You don't really notice a problem. That would have to be an animal. A subclinical infection would be an animal that is not very heavily parasitized, only has a few worms. But the most common clinical signs are weight loss, exercise intolerance, cough, and labored breathing. Prevention with drugs called macrocyclic lactones, such as ivermectin, selamectin, is crucial. Clearing it infection is typically typically requires malarsamine, which is an organic arsenic compound, which is administered IM over uh, three injections. Chronic use of certain macrocyclic lactones with doxycycline has also been effective when malarsamine cannot be used or is unavailable. So heartworm disease is a disease that is transmitted by the vector mosquitoes and the vector is a mosquito, multiple different types of mosquitoes. And there are animals that are reservoirs in the environment that carry heartworm, including dogs. And these can be wolves, actual California sea lions, coyotes, raccoons, uh, and fox. So mosquitoes will bite these animals. They'll have an infection where there's females, where the females are shedding microfilaria, which are basically the babies into the bloodstream, mosquito bites the animal and it will ingest some of those babies. And in the mosquito, part of the uh, dyrofilaria imidus life cycle is carried on in the mosquito. And then the mosquito bites a dog, let's say. And then that that when it bites that dog, it is injecting the L3, which is the infective form in the life cycle into the dog. And then what happens is over the course of 
up to about four months. It can be as short as two and a half months, but as long as four months after the animal is bitten, the worms can migrate through the body and end up in the pulmonary artery. Realistically, what we call the pre-patent period, that's the time from when the animal is bitten till we can tell the animal has an infection, can be technically as short as six months, but it can go up to seven months, eight months, or even nine months, really, depending on the circumstances of the infection. Cats are a little bit different. Dogs tend to have a higher worm burden than cats or ferrets. Cats and ferrets tend to have a small worm burden. Cats generally end up with heartworm-associated respiratory disease, which is what you would imagine, difficulty breathing, labored breathing. They could have blue mucous membranes. They're definitely going to be exercise intolerant because their lungs are going to have trouble oxygenating the blood. And in, in all cases, regardless of the animal, they can have arterial thrombi or thromboemboli, and living or dead worms become lodged into pulmonary arteries or arterioles. And if you think about it, the parasites are foreign. They're foreign, foreign to the animal. The animal's immune system is trying to rid it of, of these parasites. And if the animal's immune system is effective in killing these parasites, they're going to die and they're going to break up in pieces. They're also going to cause inflammation. And we had talked about the inflammatory cascade. So what's going to happen in the pulmonary vasculature, the worms are going to go down and get blocked into the smallest diameter of the vessel that the clot and the worm get stuck at. And that's going to cause tremendous problems with oxygenation because you're not going to have blood then flowing from the pulmonary vasculature, from the pulmonary arterial vasculature through adjacent to the alveoli and then back to the pulmonary vein, back to the left side of the heart. So remember the pulmonary artery, any blood vessel leaving the heart is an artery, any blood vessel going to the heart is a vein. The pulmonary artery comes out of the right ventricle and blood is pumped from the right ventricle through the pulmonary arteries, which the, that blood is deoxygenated. It has given up a lot of its oxygen. It's going to the lung to get reoxygenated, right? And that entails, uh, you know, breathing and the uh, diffusion of gas across the alveoli, right? Remember, that's one cell thick. The blood picks up oxygen. The blood gives off some carbon dioxide, and then the blood is moved back to the pulmonary vein, which ends up heading back to the left side of the heart to the left atrium. So like I had mentioned in the, in the thrombosis and embolism podcast, that again is going to cause lots of problems. It's going to starve also tissue of blood supply. And if you starve tissue of blood supply, that's going to cause cell death, which is called necrosis. And it's going to cause a tremendous amount of inflammation on top of lack of oxygenation of blood. Now, there's an interesting finding uh, that's come out in the, in the recent past, and I'd say in the last decade or so. This wasn't really discussed when I was in vet school. There was, an, there was a gram-negative bacteria inside the intestines of the heartworms called Wolbachia, and the heartworm and Wolbachia have a symbiotic relationship. They, the diaphylary immunous worm cannot live without the Wolbachia, so if you kill the Wolbachia, the heartworms will actually die. So that's what the, in the beginning, I had mentioned treatment with doxycycline. Doxycycline will kill the Wolbachia within the heartworm, and the heartworms will also die. So let's cover some clinical signs. 
especially in dogs, you have cough, exercise intolerance, unthriftiness. That just means the animal doesn't look good. Cyanosis, which is blue gums, blue mucous membranes, dyspnea, difficulty breathing, hemoptysis, which is bleeding out of the nose or the nares, syncope, which is basically that's going to be cardiac due to uh, cardiac problems, but it's going to lead to collapse. And then you're going to get ascites, which is a pretty severe case, which ascites is fluid buildup in the abdomen around the organs, around the GI tract and the liver. And that's due to right-sided heart failure. When there's right-sided heart failure, blood is going to have to be carried. More blood is going to have to be carried in the uh, venous system than would normally happen. And then when that happens, you're going to get fluid building up inside the abdomen, and that's called ascites. Clinical signings in cats and ferrets are basically the same. Cats infected with heartworm may be subclinically affected or exhibit intermittent coughing, dyspnea, or heart failure, vomiting, lethargy, anorexia, or weight loss. So that's pretty common, but most of the time an affected cat's going to have some sort of primary respiratory problem like the hard heartworm-associated respiratory disease. Diagnosis depends on the type of infection. It can be done by serology, looking at antigen tests for dogs and cats, and uh, also for ferrets, and then antibody tests for cats. And detection of microfilaria. The microfilaria I mentioned, the life cycle are the babies. Now the males don't have micro, don't release microfilaria. Only the females do. And speaking of the sexual dimorphism, the males are about six inches long, and the females are about ten inches long. They actually look like spaghetti, although they're a little thicker than than you would imagine. But they're they're sort of sort of thick, whitish whitish worms that primarily want to live in the pulmonary artery, but with a very heavy infection. I had mentioned the caval syndrome. The worms will move down, right, because the pulmonary artery is connected to the right ventricle. They will move down through through the pulmonary artery into the right ventricle and also up into the right atrium, and thereby blocking the tricuspid valve, and that's going to lead to your right-sided heart failure. There are such things as occult infections. Occult infections are infections that have no microfilaria and maybe only have one or a few male worms. Male worms are very hard to detect versus the female worms. And the animal may not mount a good immune response, so there might not be good antibodies. And that's just talking about blood testing. Of course, you can do echocardiography, ultrasonography, and a little quick aside, when I was in vet school, I saw a cat that had a heartworm disease getting an ultrasound, a cardiac echocardiogram of, uh, of the heart and the vessels, and you could actually see the worms, and because the worms are alive and the blood is flowing, what you see on the ultrasound is on the screen is you sort of see a... a if you can imagine tinsel in a in a stream of water, in a tube of water, it, they would be bouncing around. And that's sort of what you get. You get this sort of tinsely effect on the screen, and that's the actual worms themselves. It's kind of, it's cool, but it's a little freaky. Diagnosis in cats is um, going to be primarily the antigen test. You can also, like I said, have um, cardiac, an echocardiogram. X-rays will help. To a certain extent, there might show his term portuosity that's twisting and thickening of the pulmonary vasculature. Ferrets, antigen tests are going to be the best for, for ferrets as well. And again, cats and ferrets tend to have a smaller worm burden. 
treatment is going to be centered around doxycycline and the malarcimine, which I had mentioned previously, and then definitely exercise restriction because when you're when you're treating the patient for heartworms, once I had mentioned before that once the worms are dying, going to break apart and they're going to hit inside the lungs and you want to keep that to a minimum. You don't want large numbers of worms dying and then the animal running around and potentially forcing more of these worms and then thrombosis and embolism to hit into the lungs and then the animal is going to be in respiratory distress. There are non-arsenical compounds like I had mentioned, a micro, macrocyclic lactone such as ivermectin can be used in cases of malarcerine failure or financial constraints. The, uh, the arsenical compound is only approved for dogs. It is not approved for cats or ferrets. So cats and ferrets are going to be treated somewhat differently than dogs. There are preventatives out there. There are oral preventatives and topical preventatives that can be used on cats and dogs. There is also an injection that can be given once every six months. And the way these products basically work is on the on a monthly basis, let's say, you give your animal the, the let's say, the monthly pill or tab, tablet. Animals chew that up, and that contains that drug compound. What that drug compound is doing is killing any of the L3s that are trying to, that are inside the animal's body. So the animal gets bitten by a mosquito, regardless of it being on the preventative or not, the life cycle is trying to get finished out there. The worms are trying to grow and head towards the pulmonary artery. You give the animal a preventative and it's killing those life that life cycle. There's no forward protection. So you have to continue to give that product on a monthly basis because, again, if the animal's bitten the day after it receives the preventative, the preventative is not doing anything at that point. The preventative is mostly going to be out of the animal system. So that's why every month you need to give it. And it's probably one of the most key points is continue to give it. If you miss a couple of days, give, give the treatment. Just when you go to your vet's practice, you have to tell them, hey, I missed, you know, I was late, you know, once, twice, whatever it is. And if you can remember how much time, because it is possible that if you miss a, if there's an, a window that's missed, that some of those parasites could actually escape the next treatment and mature into heartworms. That way, animals also need to be tested every year. Okay, puppies. We mentioned the pre-patent period is a minimum of six months, so any puppy under six months of age can just be started on preventative. And then six, seven months later, the puppy should be tested and then should be tested annually. In dogs, we can use the antigen test. A negative test is not necessarily, is not 100% sensitive and specific. In addition, what you can do is a direct smear or a knots test or a filter test to look for the microfilaria. So that's also a, another assurance that there's no infection. But again, that's only telling you there's no microfilaria. A negative test means the odds are likely that there's either a very low worm burden or it's a single sex infection, which would most likely be a male infection, which is also possible. So a negative test is likely negative, but it's not 100%. And then factors such as if a dose was missed, and in certain areas, especially down in the Mississippi Delta, there is drug resistance to these monthly treatments. But you should not worry about that. You should continue to give your, your monthly preventative. So let's go over some key points. Heartworm is a preventable disease. Although there is resistance, it's only basically localized down to the Mississippi Delta. 
Some form of heartworm adulticide treatment should be offered to all owners of heartworm-infected dogs, other than those with terminal illness or other definite contraindications to treatment and financial constraint. Cats are at a lesser risk than dogs and have a lower infection rate, yet they benefit from heartworm preventatives because there are no effective treatments for infection. Which also leads me to the point that indoor animals, a lot of people will say, oh, my animal's only indoors. So, okay, that's fine. It doesn't eliminate the risk. The risk does not go to zero. The risk drops, and I can't give you a number. Mosquitoes still get in houses, especially when you're talking down south. And mosquitoes generally flourish when it's warm over 80 degrees and generally over 80% humidity. But even in the wintertime, if you get a 50 degree day, you can see mosquitoes around. So the way preventatives work is, like I said, especially if you're down south, you need to be giving them every month, all year. If you're up in the northern tier of the United States, it's going to depend. It's easiest to just give these preventatives once a month, all year, or get the uh, six month injection and just continue that. But if you if you stop and there's a 50 degree day in the winter, you're going to have to give a, a treatment, you know, and if you get a 50 degree degree day every month over the winter, even if it's one or two days, you should still continue on that preventative monthly. Indoor animals are still susceptible. Mosquitoes get into houses. So the recommendation is going to be continue that animal on the preventative. And there's no guarantee. I mean, preventative is, Prevention is always cheaper than treatment. It's going to be easier financially. It's going to be easier on the animal. It's also going to be easy on the owner if prevention is given versus, well, you have to treat. Ferrets are also susceptible to heartworm and treatment of infection is difficult. However, there is an approved preventative medication combination. So like I had mentioned in cats, there's no, there's no approved treatment for, for ferrets. I don't think there's anything else that I wanted to talk about with heartworm. There's a tremendous amount of information. The drug, uh, the veterinary drug companies have put a lot of money into these drug into these drugs. There are drugs, they're chemicals into these preventatives, and so they have spent a lot of money researching the life cycle and what happens to animals. So that's why there's a tremendous amount of information available versus a lot of other diseases in dogs and cats and ferrets that we know a little bit about and not quite as much as as heartworm disease. I do have a couple of links in in that I will put to to some good information. And also heartworm has been found in all 50 states. So more endemic down south. Again, we have reservoirs in wild animals, raccoons, wolves, coyotes, things like that. And dogs being moved all across the country, and dogs will be also now being brought in. Many dogs being brought in from overseas. So, even if if you're doing the right thing, you have reservoirs in the environment, and you also have some of these animals being brought up by rescue groups. And who knows what's happening with them? I already had mentioned when Katrina hit, fifty percent of the dogs brought up from the shelters in Louisiana had heartworm disease. So I'm sure that that contributed to a further blooming of heartworm disease, you know, in anywhere outside of Louisiana. All right. Well, I thank you for listening to me. My name is Dr. Panamal. This is the Clinical Science Podcast, and I look forward to speaking with you again.